Welcome back, everyone, to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, assistant sports editor at the Detroit News with our Red Wings beat reporter, Ted Colfin. On today's podcast, our 32nd podcast, and now in year two of Steve Eiserman's rebuild, we'll talk about the success of the Red Wings minor league team in the American Hockey League with former AHL commissioner, Dave Andrews. Eiserman, by the way, is part of the AHL's return to play committee, and yesterday they set a tentative return date to action on December the 4th, three days after the NHL is scheduled to start the 2020-21 season. But first, Ted, the return of NHL hockey this season on Saturday, the playing round begins after four months, and in Saturday's paper, You'll be talking about this wide-open race and potentially exciting playoff season. What have you seen so far, and what can fans expect in these opening best-of-five playoff series and the round-robin seeding games? It'll be interesting, Mark. I mean, obviously, what, only one exhibition game? So Mm -hmm. you're going to be going from zero to 60 very, very (laughs) quickly. Well, let me ask you, Mark. What did you think of the telecast? I mean, I have to, the no fans, right? it bothered me a little bit more than I thought it would. It just didn't seem natural. What do you think? Well, I think they've done a really interesting job with the graphics and the team's logos and trying to trying to pretend that there aren't fans there. But you're right, Ted, it's, it's hard to... Uh, it's no enthusiasm in the building. I think they'll get more and more used to it as well. But I think at least it's a step forward by the NHL. I'm watching a replay of one of the games right now, Carolina and Washington. I think it's limited, Ted. I think it's limited. And, uh, and I guess we'll get used to it after a while. But it's certainly jarring, isn't it? It, it is. is. It's, the yeah. same, it's even a little bit more so than the baseball, I thought. I mean, it seems like we've... We've seen a lot of baseball games played with relatively empty lower bowls the last couple of years all over. But the NHL, you, you're kind of used to seeing those filled lower bowl mm-hmm. stands. And boy, I mean, it just somebody on Twitter made a point too. It almost seems like you're watching Belarus and Kazakhstan playing mm-hmm. in the men's world championships. I, there's another thing, Mark, and I want to ask you about this too. It's like, I don't know if I'm fully adjusted to watching hockey on August 1st. I mean, it just didn't seem natural the last couple nights. And frankly, I think one of those two evenings, I did turn it off and watch something else. It just didn't, maybe because simply it was an exhibition game. But it, it's going to take a little while, I think, to get used to that also. Oh, I think you're 100% correct there, Ted. And, you know, when you look at the Eastern Conference, let's quickly go over the four playoff series, your predictions, Pittsburgh, Montreal. You've got the Penguins there in four games. What are you thinking there? Yeah, they're just a better team. I mean, for all the talk about Carey Price, I, I'm, there's a nagging feeling that it's not the Carey Price of four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. So on pure talent alone, i got to go with Pittsburgh. How about you, Mark? I mean, do you agree? The Penguins, well, you were talking about three Stanley Cups. Do they have another run in them? And the Canadians, right. they shouldn't even be in the playoffs. They lost four times to the Red Wings even. So that is, yeah, that's a good point right there. That would demean any team, I would think, yeah. 
Carolina and the Rangers. You've got a close series. You've got the Hurricanes in five, Ted. I don't know about you, Mark, but this one could go either way. I mean, sure. I, easily, I easily could have gone with the Rangers. I do think the Rangers could be, a, in a way, could be a very a sleeper team here, but I'll just give Carolina the slight edge. I mean, who do you like in the series? It's a toss-up as well. I mean, Carolina yeah. is the far better team. The Rangers are up and coming with goaltending questions, but I still think Carolina is the, the better team. I, I would go along with what you have there, Carolina. I will tell you one thing, though. If Panarin has a good series, if some of those mm-hmm. youngsters, again, like you said, toss-up, but uh, I'm going to say Carolina with an exciting maybe game five overtime victory or whatnot. Islanders, Florida, another close series you've got there, Ted. You've got Florida, a team that you like in five, but you've got that one really close as well. Yeah, that's the same thing. I mean, I, I'll give Bobrovsky the benefit of the doubt, although he didn't play very well in the in the exhibition game Tuesday. But Islanders are very – I have a lot of respect for the Islanders. I wouldn't be shocked if at all, again, if they won this series in four or five games. But I'm just going to say – Florida, maybe with a little bit more offense. What do you feel? That one again as well. The Islanders are, you know, the better team. I saw Joel Quenwell's uh, Florida team the other night. They didn't look very good, but it's exhibition, of course, too. That's the, so that's the thing, Mark. Yeah. I mean, one game. I mean, I know I saw a lot of reaction on social media from yeah a lot of fans on different teams that didn't play well. But goodness gracious, it's one exhibition game. That's all that they have, and it's all we can bank on. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, they certainly didn't look very good, but I would expect them to play much better here in the next few games, you would think. And the fourth series in the East, Toronto-Columbus, and you've got the Leafs uh, advancing in, in four games. I don't know about you, Mark, but I kind of feel Toronto could make a run here, a little bit of a run. I, everything you've heard out of their camp has been very positive. Uh, they see they're healthy, like most of these teams are. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Columbus and what the, what it accomplished this season, but I just think, just call it a gut feeling, but I just think Toronto could have a nice little run here. How about you? Columbus doesn't score very much, and the Leafs don't defend, so this is a classic, as they say, will versus skill. If the Leafs just right. play a little bit harder and play a little better defense that Kyle Dubas feels they can play, I think they'll win. I think they'll win the series, uh, Ted. But I had a lot of I mean, Columbus had a for what it accomplished had a very good season this year. I mean, considering all the injuries, all the free agent defections, mm. I think it's it's amazing to a certain extent that they're they're in the position they are. And, you know, they could impose their will on Toronto and win that series. I wouldn't you know it wouldn't be too surprising. But I just have a gut feeling that Toronto's mm. going to have a good run here and. Some of these young guys are ready to break out a little bit. The round robin, uh, it's a toss-up. Uh, you've got Tampa uh, see, Bay. What do you think about that, Mark? Let's talk about that. I think this yeah. – I don't want – farce is too strong of a word, but this is really – border, it's borderline silly. It really is. I mean, I don't know. There's really not a heck of a whole lot that these teams have to play for here. And you wonder if it's going to affect them adversely going forward. Well, you're right, because Boston, Tampa Bay, Washington, Philadelphia, those are three or four of the best teams, and they're playing essentially an exhibition round-robin series to, to, to slot themselves to see who they face in the next round. And it's, that's going to be hard to manufacture intensity there because 
you know, Boston might have been one of the best teams at the I time. I think they were. It's borderline criminal. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of heavy. But it's sad because Boston was playing exquisite hockey. They were playing super, super hockey. And all it got them was a little exhibition playing series now. And I don't know. It's just it's, it's unfortunate. I'm not sure what they could have done. Maybe... Uh, I mean, just kept them seated where they were, maybe. I don't know what to make of this. I'll be very curious to see how seriously these coaching staffs and the players take these games. Uh, moving over to the Western Conference, the four series, Ted, Edmonton, Chicago. You've got the Oilers and Ken Holland, uh, the GM there, the former Red Wing, and five entertaining games is what you've got in the paper. I think I think Chicago can make it very interesting, but – uh, talking to Chris Osgood and I think a couple other people in the last couple of weeks, they kind of feel Edmonton could be a sleeper in this thing. What do you think? I read your comments with Chris Osgood, and yeah, he has them going a long ways, right? Perhaps right, even right. winning with with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And- they do have two of the best players on the planet, and that's a good position to be in. I mean, their defense is the defense has kind of ironed itself out a little bit too. They have a little bit more depth now with Anthony Sue and Tyler Ennis. I could see why where people would suspect they could be a factor. Moving on, Nashville, Arizona. You've got the Predators in five in five games. I'll tell you one thing: this series in airs and the Islanders, Florida, would be. You could count on these two series being at noon when nobody's watching. Probably, I would <laughs> suspect. I mean, there will, probably wouldn't be much interest. Neither of these teams, I don't think, is going to go very far. The one that does it ultimately advance. What do you think? Probably the Predators, the Coyotes. Uncertainty with Cheka leaving the team. Can you imagine that, Ted? You're, you're going into the playoffs. And I'm sure it's something he didn't want out there, but to lose your GM. And just the way it happened, it didn't. It was seemed like it was a messy divorce. Yeah. Um, some people do like the Coyotes, though. Uh, they do. They, I mean, they, decent goaltending. Uh, Taylor Hall now gives them a little bit more p- punch offensively. Balanced defense. But, yeah, I, I just don't know yeah. if that's a team that can go very far. Vancouver, Minnesota, you've got the Canucks and their young offensive stars uh, winning in four. I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I really do like Vancouver. I think – the way people are talking about Edmonton, I kind of feel that about Vancouver. I think Vancouver could be a dangerous team here. What do you think? It connects absolutely, absolutely, uh, Ted, with Patterson and Quinn Hughes, a little bit of goaltending. Uh, Minnesota is still one of the older teams, maybe on their one of their last runs. Um, yeah, I, I would probably pick Vancouver as well. You've got them in four. It could go five, but – um, that should be a good series as well. I don't think I'd want to play Vancouver in the playoffs. They're, they have one of those teams that just the look of them, yeah, I don't think I'd like to mess with them in a playoff series this spring or this then, summer. Or the, yeah, this summer, exactly. Exactly. And then Calgary, Winnipeg, another toss-up series. You've got the Jets in five physical, hard-fought games. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. What do you feel? The Flames, they, they flamed out last year after an amazing – regular season and there's a lot of potential changes in Calgary if they don't win this series or do a lot better and the Jets as you said in the paper uh with Connor Hellebuck I think he's going to be the difference in this particular series I could see where he could be the difference maybe but I mean 
I have a lot of respect for Calgary. I like the way they play. I think they have a couple of outstanding players. But, boy, that goaltending, that's such a decided advantage for Hellebuck. I could, uh, for me, anyways, he just gives them a little bit of an edge in five games, I would think. And in the round, Robin, you've got St. Louis uh, winning uh, that format. St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas again. Um, that, that's we'll a say, awesome though, too. Right, it is. But I will say out of that group, boy, I think Colorado could be a factor. What do you think ultimately? Colorado with all that speed yeah, and skill yeah. and Vegas can make a run. Dallas was uh, a, a goal away by Jamie Benn and overtime last year from getting to the finals and the blues of course like you wrote just that laser focus exactly and uh again that's another team now frankly i didn't watch their game against chicago from but just judging looking at the comments evidently chicago completely outplayed them it sounded like Mm -hmm. but i mean goodness gracious i mean st louis is a defending stanley cup champion after what all they accomplished in the regular season it's you can't discard them. I think they're going to be a factor in this thing, regardless of where they're seated. And again, going to that point we were just talking about, I don't think with those four teams in either conference, it doesn't matter where the seeding is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see Boston could be the fourth seed and still ultimately win this thing. Uh, again, no fans in this stand. So, is there really a, a home ice advantage per se? Does it matter where you're seated? Uh, I don't. I don't think it does really. So, and it'll it'll be interesting. Just watching those top four seeds, how into it they are. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to watch how much emphasis they put on those games again. That uh, wraps up the predictions. Coming up, we'll we'll take a look at some key questions about these qualifying rounds. But first, our interview segment with Dave Andrews, who retired in July after 26 years as commissioner of the American Hockey League. Joining me now is Dave Andrews, the former American Hockey League commissioner for 26 years and former GM for the Edmonton Oilers' top farm team for seven years. Dave, for our Red Wings listeners, would it surprise you if I told you that the Red Wings have won more combined NHL, AHL titles than any other team since Mike Illich bought the club in 1982. So that's like five Calder Cups, four Stanley Cups, nine championships. Your former team, the Oilers, are ranked second with six titles, five Cups, and your Calder Cup in 1993. In your opinion, Dave, why have the Red Wings been so successful at winning AHL titles and developing NHL players for nearly 40 years? I think because they've always seen it as being important. They've always respected the American Hockey League. They've always had uh, Mm -hmm. really talented coaches at the HL level. They've had uh, uh, managers at the HL level going back to, uh, in in my time, Neil Smith and uh, followed by Ken Holland in the American League. Like they have, they have had a real focus on player development and they build their American Hockey League teams uh, in a way that they can be, uh, you know, successful from a from a competitive point of view in terms of championships, but uh, also with a, with a focus around the young players that they're looking to develop. And I think that you know, right through that period of time, from Jimmy Devolano to, to you know to Kenny Holland and and now to Steve, uh, the idea has not changed that that you develop good young players in a winning atmosphere and. 
And so it's never been really acceptable for their AHL teams to uh, just be sort of young players uh, mm-hmm. developing and, 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 you know, just draft picks, but they, they really build teams to be successful. And if you look at what they've done from a, you know, from a player development point of view, it's, it's probably second to none. You mentioned some of the people, Dave, that uh, jumped to mind, like Neil Smith, uh, Devilano, Holland, Iserman, some of the coaches, Bill Deneen, Barry Melrose, uh, Newell Brown, graduates going back to Bob Probert, Adam Oates, Sean Burr, Darren McCarty, Martin LaPointe. They missed the playoffs just once in 20 years in Adirondack. And now closer to home in Grand Rapids with the five-year agreement, which runs out in the 2021-22 season. Jeff Blaschel won a championship in 2013, uh, beating Steve Eiserman's Syracuse team. And Tyler Bertuzzi was named a playoff MVP. Who else do you think of, Dave, when I say Adirondack and Grand Rapids? Oh, I guess Adam Graves would be one player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there have been a lot of just so many great players come through there. I mean, I actually, I actually think about Pete Mahovlich, which is even before my time, but, but Pete still lives in Adirondack and Glens Falls. And, and, uh, and I guess I think of him because I see him so often. And he, he played on some of those great teams too. Uh, Glenn Murkowski would be another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, great player from those days. Uh, you know, there was so many, you know, very good players that uh, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, trying to think of uh, a couple of the goalkeeper. Well, they had Mark LaForest trees, as you recall. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a, a number of, uh, they, had, they had some great competitors back in those days. Yeah, I just spoke with uh, Mark LaForest for a, uh, a 10-year look back at Bob Prober, who passed away 10 years ago. And Mark LaForest remembers winning the cup. He also remembers Bob Prober running over uh, the Hershey goaltender in the playoffs and getting suspended and things. But, yeah, there's a lot of really good players there. Another great player was Murray Eves that just came to mind, who's uh, in the American Hockey League Hall of Fame, and as is Glenn. Um, you know, those two guys were really, sure. really dom- dominant players during their time. You know, Dave, I also talked with uh, Jimmy Devolano about your 26-year tenure, and he says, quote, based on your body of work, you should be elected into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So high praise there indeed. And he said one of your key decisions was turning the AHL into a development league in the mid-1990s when you were battling the free-spending International Hockey League. He said it was the same development model which Mike Illich wanted Devolano to bring to Detroit right after Devolano helped the Islanders draft and develop players on the way to four consecutive Stanley Cups from 80 to 83. In hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. 90% of the NHL players have played in the AHL. The league has grown. 90% of the players of the NHL players have come through the AHL. And it sounds like a a natural progression, but the development model, Dave, probably was a little more complicated than that, wasn't it? Well, it was. It, I mean, essentially, if you go back to 94, the AHL was in, uh, uh, was in a tough spot compared to the IHL. And as you said, they were free spending. They were in larger markets. They had uh, uh, deep-pocketed owners compared to the American Hockey League teams that, you know, back then, uh, as you know very well, we were kind of – we had seven or eight teams in, in the Atlantic provinces in Canada in small markets. Uh, we had a lot of small market teams in the Northeast and in the U.S. And 
we were losing NHL affiliations who were going over to the IHL because the IHL teams could pay more money for their players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were, if, if anyone looked at those two leagues in 94 and said, which one of those two is going to, is going to be the survivor, um, they would have picked the IHL, I think. And, you know, the one decision that we made that, that really has been the cornerstone of, of, of the AHL's growth and, and ultimately its takeover of the IHL in 2001 was our development rule, which essentially we looked at the league and we looked at the IHL and we said, well, how do we turn this around? How do we turn this trend back in our favor? Mm-hmm. And there was really only one answer. And the answer was we need to become a, a, a pure, we need to find our niche. We need to, to differentiate ourselves from the competition being the IHL. And, and the way to do that was to be what we had been for many years anyway, which is a developer of young players for the NHL. But we needed to make it clear that that was our mission and that that was going to define us as a league. And, and so that, that, that year we brought in uh, what's still called the development rule, which essentially limits the number of, of veteran players on each team mm-hmm. and ensures that there's a level playing field across all of our clubs and ensures that young players are going to compete against young players. And, uh, you know, it's funny that, you know, right away that, that was you know, clearly the right step in terms of forging a stronger relationship with the National Hockey League and, and with all of the NHL clubs. So, you know, it was a great first step. It was difficult to do. We ended up in, in front of the National Labor Relations Board in the United States. Our Players Association challenged the, uh, hmm. our ability to impose that. And they were actually correct. What did I know? We just went ahead and did it. But, <laughs> but we were not – we ended up in court, and, and we prevailed at the end of the day because none of the players who had been veteran players in our league in 1992, 93, or sorry, 93, 94, I guess, uh, none of those players were out of work. They, they went to the IHL, they went to Europe, uh, or they stayed in our league as one of the veteran players, a uh, group of veteran players allowed in each team. So uh, we prevailed there, and then we negotiated that into our collective bargaining agreement, and it's still there, and it's been there ever since. Mm-hmm. It's been tweaked a little bit, but, um, you know, it, it's kind of like in any business, you, you need to identify what your strengths are and you know, what the threats are against you. And it seemed, it seemed to me at the time and to our, our board once, you know, once I got started, that we had to embrace what we were good at. And uh, one of the byproducts, uh, Mark, interestingly enough, was yeah. that, and I'd like, to, I'd like to think I was smart enough to see all that, but the hockey got better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a lot of fear that we would lose the quality of play because we wouldn't have as many seasoned veteran skilled American League leaders. Um, but what happened is the pace of the game picked up and, and the competitiveness of the game picked up. And, uh, you know, that, that really helped us. Like our product got better. Um, so not only were we providing an opportunity for NHL teams to be sure their players are going to develop in a good environment, but we also were giving our fans a better product. So those two things really were the foundation of what we built over the years. A quick question about winning championships then in the minor leagues. Um, a team like the Penguins, Dave, they have five Stanley Cups, no Calder Cups, but they've been to three AHL finals recently, and their back-to-back Stanley Cup teams had nearly 10 players from the minors. Devolano says it's not an exact science, but he said the philosophy in 2020 with Steve Eisenman is, is the same as was in the 1970s with the Islanders, and he sort of said, like, find good character older players who you can plug into the parent team at a pinch. 
and combine them with young players. And he said like Zadina, Sveshnikov, Valeno, Chalosky, just like he did with Billy Carroll, Hector Martini, Kelly Rudy, and Roland Melanson. So my question is, do you think it's more difficult to win a Calder Cup than a Stanley Cup? And is that a good measurement of a team's success? Well, it's a, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I think that the general managers in the National Hockey League would measure success uh, really by the product that came out of that American League team. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you look at, you know, whether Wilkes-Barre won a championship or not, I, I think that, you know, there's no question that the, that the Penguins' management over, the, over that time when they were, you know, going to a lot of finals, but essentially players were coming up and coaches were coming up mid-season and winning Stanley Cups, including, you know, including Mike Sullivan. So it's, it's, you know, the real success measure for the NHL club with their AHL club is are the players ready to play and compete and, and can they, how many of them are they bringing into their team that are making a difference? And I think over the years, you can certainly look at, at players coming from Grand Rapids and making a difference in Detroit, uh, certainly in, in Pittsburgh, as you mentioned. And, and uh, perhaps the most impressive is in Tampa Bay under Steve's leadership. Uh, the players that came through Norfolk and, and Syracuse to come in and, and be real, you know, difference makers at the National Hockey League level. And, you know, Syracuse didn't win any, any championships. Norfolk did. Um, but I think, I think it's really important in the development of those players that, that you're in the hunt and you've got a chance to win championships. And, uh, you know, those teams in Wilkesbury were, you know, a hair away from winning uh, two or three Calder Cups. Uh, Syracuse has been to the final two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it helps to have good teams, I think, and, and that costs money. It, it's not cheap to, you know, to hire, uh, you know, to, to sign good quality career veteran leadership for your American League team, and uh, which helps your young players develop in the right in the right atmosphere. But, you know, Jimmy has always believed in that, and and uh, you know, with with Neil and Kenny, obviously, has very much believed in in the American League, and and Steve as well, and. You know, Steve never played in the American League, so really was never really exposed to it until he became, uh, um, you know, an assistant GM in, in Detroit with, with Kenny and, and spent a lot of time around Grand Rapids. But, um, you know, I think, I think every NHL general manager recognizes what it takes. Uh, it, it's, I think, sometimes some teams don't have the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and others, you know, I think one of the things, too, that I think Jimmy would tell you and is there's not just the, it's not just the kind of pipeline from the the AHL affiliate like from Grand Rapids to Detroit, but it's the AHL as a is a systemic developer of players for the NHL. So there's there's a lot of players on every team in the NHL that that played in the American League, were developed in the American League, but on somebody else's farm team. Hmm. And <clears throat> so the league is important in that respect. Um, as you said, it's almost ninety percent of players now in the NHL. Um, you know, came through, came through the, the AHL. And I was thinking about Adirondack and I was thinking of Dave Strader too. When you think about a lot of the broadcasters and almost all of them in the National League, uh, from Mike Emmerich to, you know, to the late Dave Strader to, to others have also cut their teeth in the AHL. So it's, it's been an interesting, uh, you know, it's been such a neat place for a lot of people to come through and, and they never forget it. When, when we, you know, when we have our Hall of Fame inductions every year at, at our All-Star event and guys like Glenn Murkowski come back and, um, and you know, are, are inducted into our Hall of Fame, like the, the stories and the memories from a lot of guys who went on to great NHL careers who came back to be inducted in our Hall of Fame, 
their memories of the American League were, were so great because of the age they were and it was their first pro experience. And, and you know, it's just great stories around all of that. And Dave, isn't it funny how uh, things uh, work out? You worked for one of the most successful teams in NHL history, the Oilers, uh, five Stanley Cups in seven years under Glenn Sather. And you wound up replacing a dear friend of yours, the late Jack Butterfield, who was the commissioner for 28 years. You were the commissioner for 26 years. Butterfield, by the way, Jimmy Devolano and I looked it up, was elected into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1980. Can you ever imagine going back to 1993 after winning the Calder Cup at Center 200 in Cape Breton the Sunday night that you might be considered for election to the Hall of Fame. That's down the road. But you kind of took a different path, which sounds like it's been very rewarding um, as far as some of the accomplishments that you and your team were able to do. And also it seems to have provided a really interesting and rewarding uh, career. But if you look back at 1993, um, like a lot of things, it's, it's really uh, probably something that you just couldn't possibly have imagined. No, it's true. And I mean, I, I don't even now imagine myself as being considered for the Hall of Fame. So it's very uh, kind of Jimmy to say that. But um, <clears throat> I will say that in, in 93, I had no thoughts of ever, you know, being president of the American Hockey League. And a, and a year later, I was. Um, my career path really was, was in my mind, was going to move through the Oilers organization. And Mm-hmm. And I knew I was about to get an opportunity to go to Edmonton and work uh, more directly with Glenn uh, in Edmonton. And Glenn has remained a, a really close friend over the years. And, and uh, I'm, in, I'm still in touch with him all the time. And I, I've always been thankful for the opportunity that he gave me. And, and also, you know, it was, a, it was a tough love kind of way to learn the business <laughs> working for Glenn. It was, uh, he was, a, he was a, tough, uh, a tough guy to work for, uh, not because he wasn't fair, but just he was very demanding and it was uh, which was good for me at the time but it actually uh, began in at a at an AHL board meeting in in uh, I believe it was in Halifax and uh, uh, McGregor Kilpatrick who was back in those days was the uh, uh, the league's uh, attorney and counsel and it was a former owner of the league owner of uh, in our league in New Haven uh, took me aside after a meeting and said can we have a coffee went for a coffee and he said Jack's told us that he's going to retire uh, next year. And he said, you know, there are some of us who think you should apply and you should be a candidate. And I can remember saying to him, there's no point in that because I don't think I'd be electable. Uh, being a, <clears throat> a Canadian, working with one of the Canadian teams in the Maritimes then, and there was quite a rift between the uh, Canadian-based teams and the American-based teams in the AHL in those days. And uh, you know, and it wasn't the Canadian teams that were dominating and running the league. It was, it was the, you know, the old school teams in Rochester and Springfield and Providence. And, and, uh, Mr. Kilpatrick said, look, that's the reason you need to run. Like we, we need a, we need a change. We need a fresh direction. And so that was the first thought I'd ever had of it. And, and I applied and, and I had put together kind of a strategic plan to take to the interview in Boston. And, uh, not long after the interview, they, came back and said, well, you're the candidate we're going to put forward to the board because we, we want to follow that strategic plan. We want you to, we want you to make that operational. So I was actually uh, elected a year before I started. It was in, in the summer of 93 uh, that the, at the annual meeting of the league that, that I was elected to the position. So I worked one more year for, for Glenn in Cape Breton uh, uh, 
with George Burnett there coaching. I, I, I worked one more year uh, when I was really about to be the president of the league, but I was working for a team, which was kind of an interesting uh, situation. But it, it really gave me a lot of time to think about, uh, you know, it gave me a year to prepare and think about what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and to put the right people in place, the right committees in place. And so it was a, it was a pretty auspicious start. And, and, and Jack Butterfield, Mark, who you mentioned was, was terrific as he, as he moved out of the presidency and into, uh, into a role as chairman. Uh, he was really supportive and uh, and just never made me feel as, and I took the league in a much different direction than he had and right from day one. And uh, and he never pushed back and he was never critical and, and he just, you know, sort of made room for me to do what I wanted to do. And and here we are 26 years later, I'm in the same position, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm, I'm really trying to make sure that I give Scott House and, uh, uh, every bit of support that he can have, and and but that I step out of the way. And finally, Dave, for our uh, Detroit listeners who have supported the minor leagues uh, going back, the Tigers, for example, fans can get on I-75 and watch AAA baseball in Toledo. Wings fans can get on I-96 a couple hours down the road, and they're in Grand Rapids. What do you see as far as, you know, Scott Housen will take it somewhere else with you there, you know, offering support, but just in the background? But what what will fans see when eventually the, the, the games will begin again? Like the game you said is faster than ever, better than ever, younger than ever. Uh, there's quite a turnover because players can't stay in the league forever. Well, it, it's sort of an all-encompassing um, question, Dave, but what do, you, what do you see as far as the league going forward in, in these times with the COVID pandemic? Well, it's, it's, uh, as you said, it's, we're in very uncertain times. So it's very difficult to, to predict what things are going to look like and when they're going to be, you know, when we're going to be able to return to play and what that, what that might look like in terms of, uh, uh, you know, public health requirements in arenas, et cetera. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, we we're having our first meeting of, of that task force, uh, actually this week. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's not enough information for us to make any hard decisions, but there's certainly some, uh, you know, some some general, general sort of direction that we can begin to look at. But I, I think fans, when we get back, it's going to have to be a safe environment for fans. It's going to have to be obviously a safe environment for our players and and everyone involved, arena staff and so forth. So I, I don't see us getting back to play. Um, you know, we certainly won't be playing. Uh, any normal schedule without fans in the building and and uh, it might be we might be looking at you know some percentage of capacity that eventually makes sense to mm-hmm. us that financially we can do it uh, the NHL general managers really want their young players developing and playing and so it's finding a you know sort of a financial model that will allow that to happen um, and what that will look like in the short term uh, you know I'm not sure I think we have to be open to uh, to be pretty nimble and innovative as to as to what HL play might look like, uh, you know, next season. But in the long haul, I think once we are back playing, I think mm-hmm. fans that go to Grand Rapids can they look forward to seeing kind of a, you know, it, it's really like an NHL environment. It's a it, you know, it's a building that's it's well attended. It's a fun place to be. Uh, there's great pride in the in in the you know in the in the winged wheel for sure. There's great pride in the Griffins brand. Um, you can feel it in the building. Um, I, I think it's a wonderful place to watch a game, and and our hockey is very entertaining, very energetic, highly skilled hockey. So, 
I think if you're a Detroit Red Wings fan, you're, 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 you're coming down there and you're seeing the future and you're seeing, uh, and you're being entertained by, you know, great hockey, whatever team they're playing against is going to be a good team. And, uh, you know, I just, I just think it's, it's sort of walking in there. You can, mm-hmm. you can feel the pride and the organizational pride, if you will, um, for the Red Wings organization to be in Grand Rapids with, you know, with the great ownership that they have. And, um, you know, the, they, they've always got good competitive teams. So it's a fun place to go. And that's really what we're supposed to be about. I mean, there's the business of hockey and then there's the, the reason fans go to games. They go to have fun and be entertained and enjoy. And I think that's all there for them. Dave, that'll just about wrap things up. I want to thank you for your time on the podcast and your, well, part of your early retirement right now. Enjoy your time off, and thanks for talking to us about the Red Wings and the success they've had at developing players in Detroit and in Adirondack and Grand Rapids. Thanks, Mark. Okay, we're back. Our thanks to Dave Andrews for talking about the success of the Red Wings and their farm system Ted, nine championships, five Calder Cups, four Stanley Cups since Mike Illich bought the team in 1982 for $8 million. And they're now worth $800 million in the last numbers, according to Forbes. You know, that's why the NHL players have always been wary of salary caps, escrow, splitting the profits. That's amazing. It really just shows the growth of the game. But getting back to the minor league aspect of it, I think Grand Rapids... In terms of the AHL, Grand Rapids is one of the best minor pro sports towns and organizations in terms of the Griffins that I've seen in quite a few years. I mean, the Griffins do an outstanding job there. Uh, it'll be interesting. Again, I mean, I know tentatively they said December 4th and the NHL tentatively said, you know, they've titled, looked at December 1st. Let's hope we get there. I mean, uh, I, the way things are going in you know, the, some of these pro leagues, you wonder if they're going to be able to make it to December 1st or start on December 1st or December 4th. Let's hope. I mean, otherwise it could be another – Could be the wait could be pretty long here. But the AHL, they're, they're judging – there's definitely problems there in a regard. They, do, they are so driven by gates. And if there's no fans, if they're not able to put fans in the stands, I mean, I don't know how you're going to be able to start the AHL season. Getting back to the playoffs just for a moment and wrapping up the podcast uh, in Saturday's paper, you asked one of the questions that some fans may be asking, do younger teams have an advantage? The youngest team is Chicago, and they're not likely to move on, but there are younger teams, like you said, like Edmonton, like Edmonton Vancouver, yeah, Carolina. Vancouver. Right. Those three come to mind. I mean, you figure – just talking to people, they seem to think that those types of fast, speed-oriented teams might have a quicker, quicker chance of getting into the getting into the swing of things, getting into hockey shape, just putting, just accelerating the pace in these games. And I could see that happening against an older team like a Boston or Columbus, Tampa. I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see that being a factor. So it's something to watch. I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way these games are supposed to, a lot of people suspect these are going to be fast games, just not a lot of systems or whatnot. And it'll be interesting to see. I think I could definitely suspect a, t- uh, a team like Vancouver Edmonton making a charge here. You also asked, Ted, too, our, our final uh, question here. What will fans think of these playoffs? We talked about it off the top. Like, it's a little bit unnatural. We're... You know, in the middle of summer, there's vacations. 
There's other sports going on as well. But for hockey fans, for Saturday, for example, with four or five games. It is quite the smorgasbord. It really is. And there's going to be a couple of those days from what I've seen on the schedule. So, I mean, yeah, for a hockey lover, it's going to be a delightful experience. But even then, Mark, I mean, I don't, I don't know too many people who are able to get away from work or at work and watch start watching hockey at noon. So it could be almost too much to have on the uh, on the on the plate. But I don't know. Again, like we said earlier, it just feels a little unnatural to be watching hot competitive hockey in August. And boy, too. I'll, I'll tip my hat off to the two teams that are there at the end. I mean, mm -hmm. to be involved in this hockey bubble for two months, that will not be an easy experience. Do you agree? I mean, this is going to be a test yeah, for those yeah. teams, for those players. And that'll just about do it for episode 32 of Octopulse. We'll be back in a couple of weeks to look at how our predictions fared, how we did in the play-in predictions. Until then, Take care, stay safe, and enjoy bubble hockey, everyone. Enjoy some time off, Ted. We'll see you in mid-August. See you then.